Good morning. Everybody stand, turn your Bibles to Philippians this morning. Philippians chapter number 3. Wasn't that good singing this morning? Amen. That was good. That, that just done my heart good. It's easy to preach when you have good worship singing like that. And so I was going to sing this morning. And I tell people that I, I like to sing before I preach because it makes you appreciate my preaching that much more rather than my singing. Come on, people, smile for me this morning. I know it's a, it's a little different this morning, and some of you have met me, some of you have not, but I'm just going to preach the Bible. I'm here to speak on God's behalf this morning, not on mine. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 1, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, it's not grievous, but for you it is safe. He says, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are of the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He says, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ." And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, Either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for all your many blessings. God, we thank you for the privilege, Lord, that it is to be in this house this morning. God, I thank you for the folks that have gathered here, Lord, to, to sing and, and to hear the message. God, I just pray that you would touch. Lord, that you would just bless each one that's put forth an effort to come this morning. God, I thank you for this church, Lord, and all that are here. But God, this morning, I want to pray especially, God, for the lost. Lord, if there's anybody lost in this house this morning, God, I just pray that you would deal with them this morning. Convict their soul. Let your word speak to them. And Lord, let them know that they're in need of a Savior this morning. God, I just pray that you would touch me. God, use me as your vessel. Lord, I'm absolutely nothing this morning. God, I can preach only through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I just pray that you would move upon us. God, let the Holy Spirit do His work. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Where's Brother George at, the Sunday school teacher this morning that I had? Where's he at? Is he here? There he is right there. I think that he must steal my Bible before and and know where I'm preaching from because the last two times that I've been here, he's actually talked about some of the things from the sermon. And this morning in Sunday school, we actually talked about the Apostle Paul and we talked about Saul and his conversion to Christianity. 
when I get to heaven, if there's somebody I would like to meet besides the Lord Jesus Christ himself, I would say that a lot of people, a lot of Christians would agree with me that they would like to meet the Apostle Paul. He, he wrote 13 epistles in the New Testament, and basically all the doctrine that the church has this morning is from the Pauline epistles. He was the, the apostle that went to the Gentiles and preached the word. And he wrote to the Philippian church here this morning that we're reading from. And I want you to understand that the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to this church, he had sort of a special bond with the Philippian church. Because if you recall in the book of Acts, it was in Philippi that Paul was in prison and that Paul was beaten. And that he went and, and in this Philippian prison, he did something that was, was very strange to somebody that would be in prison. And that he said, and he sang praises in the middle of the night in a Philippian prison. The, the, the one he was in prison with, I'm sure that they got to glorifying God and, and maybe they got to talking and got to singing. And before you know it, they started glorifying God and the prison shook and their chains fell off in Philippi and, and all these prisoners saw the Apostle Paul. Now, if I was a guessing man, and of course the Bible doesn't say anything about this, but when all those other prisoners saw their chains fall off and heard the praises of God sung, they knew that something was different about the Apostle Paul. They, they, some of them might have been in prison for a long time and they might have been sitting there for a while and they thought, wow, we've never had a prisoner like this in this prison here at Philippi. And in fact, I know at least one person was impacted by that situation because the Bible goes on to say that when their chains fell off, that the Philippian jailer, the Bible says, sprung in and he was ready to basically kill anybody that was trying to escape. And then Paul reassured him, he says, we're all here and then the Philippian jailer says, he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? When God showed up on the scene, when the Holy Spirit moved in that Philippian jail that night, that jailer was impacted. I'm sure some of those prisoners were impacted. And I would say that when Paul started this church in Philippi, that he might have actually been writing that letter to that Philippian jailer. Could, could you see that in the scripture this morning? But the Apostle Paul, he goes through that. And I love the book of Philippians. But he goes on and he starts telling them, in verse number 3, he says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit. Now, this is not the sermon this morning, but I'm going to just take a sidebar and say that there's absolutely no other way to worship God this morning. You cannot worship God in your flesh. That The only way that God can be worshipped this morning is only through the Holy Spirit. When, when, God came down, or when the Holy Spirit came down in Acts chapter 2, something was put inside of us, and the, the Spirit of man was awoken, and therefore when you're saved and you want to worship God you can do it through the Holy Spirit that your spirit can commune with the Holy Spirit and go into the throne room and worship God one preacher said it like this that at 10 or 11 o'clock whenever it is that we have our worship services worship of God does not begin then we only join in to the eternal worship that has been going towards God from eternity and will go to eternity that the heavens worship God and that the earth worships God and those all around the world are worshiping God and here we get to join into something as wonderful as to worship our God and he's worthy this morning isn't he Say amen. Get a, little, get a little louder for me. I'm beginning to think some of you may not be hearing me. Mike may have to turn me up. But he says that we, were, he said we worship God in spirit. He says, and we rejoice in Christ Jesus. But then he makes a statement and he says something else. He kind of turns the page a little bit and he says, and we have no confidence in the flesh. That we have no confidence in the flesh. 
You and I, we're made up of three parts this morning. If you're born again, if God has saved you, you are a three-part being. You are flesh. You are the part that, that I'm, the flesh you're looking at me this morning. Every one of you has flesh, and we know that that, that, that flesh is warring against everything else that is within us. But then we also have a spirit. We have that spirit of man that is inside of us that, that is awakened when God saves our souls. But then we also have a soul. We have a soul. And as I said a moment ago, you cannot worship God in the flesh. And Paul says not to put any confidence in your flesh. I, I see these, these t-shirts. Does anybody in here like to read t-shirts besides me? When I, like, I go out in public and, and read t-shirts on people. And I see these t-shirts that a lot of teenagers are wearing, maybe some adults, and they say, follow your heart. Has you ever, you ever seen that t-shirt that says, follow your heart? Or you've heard that phrase where some people say, well, just follow your heart. Follow your heart. I'm going to tell you, that's bad advice. That's bad advice because, because really your heart is, is wicked naturally. The inner part of you, the part that, that operates that we call the heart, the part that makes decisions of us, that part of us is not, it's kind of wicked sometimes. So it's really not a good idea to follow your heart. It's a good idea to follow the Word of God. Don't follow your heart this morning. It, just follow the Word of God. Paul says put absolutely no confidence in your flesh this morning because your flesh is going to take you one place and that would be to hell. If you put confidence in your flesh, if you depended on your flesh, if you depended on what you could do this morning, you would make it your home for eternity in hell. And nobody wants to do that. Nobody in their right mind this morning would say, yes, sign me up for an eternity in hell. Nobody would say that. Paul says that I put no confidence in the flesh. But then he does something different. He, he takes another turn and he kind of goes out of character here for a moment, if you will. And Paul kind of steps up on his little soapbox. And he said, if anybody could have confidence in the flesh, it would be me. Paul said, I, he said, I could have confidence in the flesh. He says, as a Jew, I could have confidence in the flesh. He, he said that he had the right birth. He said that he was born into the family of Israel, that he was circumcised on the eighth day. That was required of a Jew. You couldn't be a Jewish boy unless you were circumcised on the eighth day. He said that he had the right heritage, that he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He said a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as concerning the law, he was a Pharisee. Now we know if you read the Gospels that being a Pharisee necessarily wasn't a thing to brag about. But what a Pharisee was is somebody that kept the law down to the T. The Apostle Paul said that, hey, he said, I had the Ten Commandments. And he said, I lived every single one of those Ten Commandments down to the very best that I knew how. I also lived the extra things that the other Pharisees added and that the Sanhedrin added. He said, I lived these things down to the very, very T. He said, concerning zeal persecuting the church he said touching the righteousness which is of the law he said I was blameless it would be hard for anybody in here in this room this morning to stand on this stage and say you're blameless you might have the right birth you might have been born into a, a good family you might have been born right here in middle Tennessee the best place on earth I think you might have the, the right raising you might have been raised in church but and all these things were lined up for the Apostle Paul but it would be hard for any of us to stand up here and say, you know what, I don't have any sin in me. As touching the law, I'm blameless. When I read the law and I read that, it's hard for anybody to keep. I'm glad I don't have to keep the law this morning, aren't you? 
But if I brought Tanner up here, and I might just do it in a minute just to see what he says. Now, I won't do that to you, brother. But if I brought him up here and I, said, and I said, Tanner, do you sin and put a microphone to his mouth? If he said he didn't, he'd be lying. He'd be sinning right there. He said that he was blameless as touching the law. Verse 7 says, but what things were gained to me? He said those things were important to him, but he counted it a loss for Christ. In verse 7, Paul uses a word that we need to pay attention to this morning, a word that we need to bring out for just a moment. It's a word that he repeats three times in the next two verses. He says he counted it loss. He counted it loss. He took an account of his life from the time of his conversion back. From the time that he was saved miraculously and gloriously on the Damascus Road. He took from that moment back and he said from that moment back everything that happened into my life up to that point was a total waste of time. That's a bold statement, isn't it? That would be a, a, hard, a hard thing for you and I to say this morning. But we have to say it. See, saved people have to count their life but a loss. Everything pre-conversion, Paul says, he said, I counted it a loss. But it wasn't just a loss for no reason. He said, I counted it a loss for Christ. For Jesus' sake. Paul had to give up every single thing that he had lived for up to that point when he was saved. He had to give up the Sanhedrin council that he was trying to sit on. He had to give up that education and, and everything that he had from the, the Jewish law. He had to give up everything. He had to give up pretty much his family, his home, everything that he had. He said, I count it a loss. That that was time lost. Anybody, I think Brother Cecil and folks that work in, in environments, manufacturing, they count losses. They count, they say, what's going good and what's going bad, and they count their losses, and they try everything they do to fix those losses. The Apostle Paul said that my entire life up to that point was just a loss. He said he counted. He sat down. Do you ever just sit down sometimes and take an account of your life? We sit down sometimes, don't we, and, and with our checkbook and with our bank statements and all that, and we take an account of that. Does anybody in here do that? You sit down and you balance the books and you make sure everything's right and everything's good and, and all is as it should be. But how many times do we sit down maybe at our desk or at our kitchen table or in a quiet place and just take an account of our spiritual life? How often do we do that? Probably not as often as we should. Most people balance their checkbooks once a week, but do we balance our spiritual lives? He said, I'm counting. Paul goes on in verse number 8, and I'll get to the message in just a moment. He said, yea, doubtless. Here's that word again. He says, and I count all things but loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Here's that word one more time. And he says, do count them. He says, I'm counting them again, but dung. He, uh, that, was, that was a trash pile. You go, you go into the Jewish time, in this time period, and you would find just heaps of trash. They didn't have landfills. They would just have heaps of trash. And Paul said, I could just take my life before I was saved and just throw it onto that heap of trash. He says, I counted of a loss. The Apostle Paul was basically saying, and here's the message this morning. He said, what I had before 
was a religion. See, there's a lot of religion in America. Did you know that? There's a lot of religion right here in, in, in Tennessee where we live in the southeast and in, in Cookville even. There's churches on every single corner. You, you, can't go, you can't go a mile in any direction without running into three or four churches. And that's a blessing sometimes, but sometimes it's bad. Because what we have sometimes is a lot of people that we just have religion. The Apostle Paul had religion. He, he had what he thought he needed. He, he lived righteously. He did all these things. He lived by the law of God. He believed in Jehovah God. But something was missing from his life. Something was absent from his life, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said that, that a life without Christ is void, that a life without Christ is empty, that a life without Christ is not worth living. He went from having a religion before he was saved to have, then having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul uses three words here, or three phrases to describe our relationship with Jesus Christ. And the first one is found in verse number 8. Paul said, he said, I, I suffer the loss of all things and do count them but dung. Here's the first thing that we need to see in this scripture. That I may win Christ. You see that word win right there? We have a, a, I think we have a misconception of what that word means. That word doesn't mean that, that I'm the winner and you're the loser. That doesn't mean that, that I get Christ and you don't. That word win means to gain the favor and the fellowship of Christ Jesus. That the Apostle Paul said, I want to win the favor of Christ. And in order to do that, I have to count everything else a loss that I just have to throw it out. The first thing that we need to notice about our relationship with Christ is that we need to be winning Christ. We need to be gaining that favor of Christ every single day of our life. I like to have favor with people, don't you? There's something I can't stand, and, and it is just my personality. I cannot stand for people to be mad at me. That's weird, right? I'm a preacher, and you would think, you better get used to that, buddy. Come on. It's okay to smile in church. I, I, heard, I read an, uh, something the other day that said, if you can't stand for people to be mad at you, you better not be a preacher. But I like to be in people's favor. I really do. I, I can't stand for people to be mad at me. When I find out somebody's mad at me, I want to fix that situation as fast as I can. I can't stand it. Believe it or not, and I'll just be transparent with you, sometimes me and my wife, we will have what, what I like to call intense moments of fellowship. The husband, do you husbands and wives ever do that? Have you ever had any intense moments of fellowship? <laughs> You're married, but, but sometimes, you, you know, they, there's just the slightest little thing can set people off sometimes. I don't understand it. But it, as soon as I find out my wife's mad at me, and, and my wife, she, she left the room so I can talk about her all I want to. She took my son out. My wife is a sweet lady. Anybody that knows her, she's the sweetest lady in the world. And I, she's never even hardly raised her voice at me. I, and I appreciate that. But you know what she does? She won't talk to me. She'll just go somewhere in the house and she'll sit down. And, and you'll ask her what's wrong. She'll say, nothing. Nothing's wrong with me. And I'm thinking, you're sinning. You're lying right now. You're sitting in that chair lying to me. Nothing's wrong. And then I have to think back. And I have to think, what did I do? 
Any of you husbands ever have to ask that question? And you're racking your brain and you're, what did I do? What did I do? And I find that out. And as quickly as I can, I'm trying to restore that fellowship with my wife. Because marriage is a fellowship. To fellowship is to commune with one another. And, and I want to be in my wife's favor. Because, because outside of Jesus Christ, outside of my relationship with Jesus, if you're married, your spouse should be your favorite person in the world. I know sometimes that, that things happen. I know sometimes situations come up. And, and like I said, we have our little spats and we get kind of miffed at each other. and Whatever the situation may be. But at the end of the day, that's the person that God chose for you. And you're supposed to love them. And you're supposed to be in fellowship with them. And you're supposed to be in favor with them. How much more should we want to be in fellowship and favor with Jesus? How much more should we want to, to, to always be in that right relationship with Jesus? I'm going to tell you that sometimes as saved people, you're going to get out of the will of God. You're going to do things. You're going to make mistakes. You're even going to slip up in sin sometimes. And that fellowship is not going to be as sweet as it should be. That Holy Spirit is not going to come and He's going to bless you. I like to be blessed, don't you? And I know that when I get the sin out of my life and when I get the unrighteousness out of me, that God will bless me. But there are sometimes that something happens and God, sometimes it seems that, that I'm out of favor with Him sometimes. We need to have that right relationship with Jesus at all times. Be in fellowship with Him. Be able to communicate with Him at all times. You know, as a parent, I, I find out what favor is sometimes. I love my children unconditionally. I have two beautiful children. I'll brag on them, but they're beautiful. And your, your children better be the most beautiful children in the world to you. But sometimes, believe it or not, my little daughter does things that I don't approve of and that I don't appreciate. But still, those kids are in my favor. Those are my children. And I love them unconditionally. When you make a mistake, see, Jesus is willing. He's waiting. He's standing there with open arms saying, please restore that relationship with me. Please come back to me and get your heart right. Get that sin and that unrighteousness out of your life. And all those things, he said, count them lost that you may win my excellency. That you may win my grace and my favor and all these things in my fellowship. Paul said that he counted his whole life, but trash, that he could win Christ. He goes on to say, just immediately in verse number 9, he says, not only do I want to win Christ, not only do I want to gain his fellowship and his favor, but then he says the next phrase, he says, and I also want to be found in him. He says, I want to be found in him. He says, wherever you find Jesus, I hope you find me. And wherever you find me, I hope you find Jesus. He says, I want to be found in him. He goes on to say, this is in the same verse. He says, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. He said, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul said that I want to be found in Christ. Now I want to give you a little illustration this morning if I can and kind of explain to you what he means being found in Christ. I want you to imagine for a moment because there's, there's two places you're going to be found and that's either in Christ or out of Christ. You agree with that statement this morning? 
no middle ground. There, there's no gray area. You, you're either in Christ or you're out of Christ. Now, I believe that Paul is referencing here as a believer and an unbeliever. Be found in Jesus as a believer. Paul was converted at this time, and he says, I want to be found in Christ as a believer, not having mine own righteousness. And before I give you this, this illustration, I'll tell you this, that sometimes it's hard to witness to people because everybody thinks that they're okay. You can ask a, a preacher or a missionary or, or anybody like that. Actually, missionaries, I don't know, because a lot of people in other countries know they're lost. Amen, Tanner? But, but especially evangelists and people that spread the Word of God, I've walked up to people and I've talked to people before and I've said, well, how are you? What, what's your standing with God? And they'll say, well, I'm, I'm doing good. They'll say, yes, I'm right with God. You can ask somebody, are you right with God? And they'll say, yes, I'm right with God. And you'll say, how do you know you're right with God? You can ask them that question and they'll say, well, I'm a good person. Anybody ever heard that trying to witness to somebody? The first thing they'll say is, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I've never hurt anybody. I, 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 you know, I, I treat my wife good and I, I do what I'm supposed to and I work. And, you know, I'm a good guy. I don't go out and drink beer on Saturday nights and I don't beat on my wife and I do all these good things. Doesn't that mean something? No. It doesn't. I know that's harsh. But that's what the Bible says. That you either believe in Jesus Christ and you're saved or you're lost. It's not what you've done. Paul said, Paul said that, that if anybody could, could have confidence in their flesh, it could have been him. He lived better than anybody. He lived better than anybody in this time. He probably lived better than we do. But he says that I may be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. See, people are comparing themselves to the wrong thing. People are, are trying to stand themselves up to members of the church. And I've heard this numerous times when I go out and they'll say, and, and I, this is my favorite line to hear, they'll say, well, I'm as good as so-and-so down at the church. I know how they live. I know what they do. And they'll bring up people. And the problem with that is if you're comparing yourself to people, you'll probably win every time. I could find somebody and say, well, I live better than they do, but somebody in this world probably lives better than I do. And the mistake is that they start comparing themselves to others and not comparing themselves to Jesus. See, if you try to stand up to Jesus, you're going to fall short every time, according to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter if you're living a high moral life or you're not. If you're lost, you're lost, bottom line. Now here we go with the, with the illustration. Imagine two people living in, in two different states, and just say there's one person in that state, kind of like Wyoming or something, and there's one person in, that, in this state over here, and we're going to call this state being saved. This is the state of being born again. And over here in the other state, you go to this side, and, and they border each other, they're right next to each other, but this is the state of being lost. And there's a man that lives in the state of being saved, and a man that lives in the state of being lost. And that man in the state of being lost looks over and he sees the man that is living in the state of being saved. And I'll use these steps. I'm going to come down here towards you a little bit. But he looks over at that man and he sees that man that is saved 
And he lives down here in the bottom of the state of being saved. That if there's a low point in the state of being saved, that he lives in it. He's in the lowest valley. And we'll say that this valley, that he lives in the bottom of it, and that he's just scraping the bottom. But guess what state he still lives in? The state of saved, right? No matter where he lives, if he lives here in the bottom, or if he lives in the valley, or if he lives on the mountaintop, he's still in the state of being saved. But then over here in the state of being lost, what the people do is they look at the people in the state of being saved and they live on the mountain of self-righteousness. And they say, I'm up here on the mountain and I live the, the, on the moral high road and I do what's right. And look at that guy over there. He lives in the valley. But guess what? Guess what the difference is? The blood has been applied to that man. Paul said that I want to be found over here. That when you find me, that when you find the Apostle Paul or when you find Seth Price or Cecil Essex or whoever it is, that we're in the state of salvation. That you find us here, not living in our own righteousness like this guy is over here, but that we're living in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you're self-righteous this morning, you need to get over yourself. You need to figure out that, that it's not about you can you say that with me? Say, it's not about me. Say it one, two, three. It's not about me. For some people, that's probably the first, first time that's ever come out of their mouth. It's a bitter pill to swallow, isn't it? But it's the truth. I didn't come here to, to sugarcoat things and to butter you up. I came here to tell you what the Bible says. And I'll tell you why I came here to do that. Because there are souls at stake. We can't afford to not tell the truth. We don't have time to, to just preach stories. We don't have time to come up here and, and tell you what you want to hear. I've got to tell you what the Bible says because there are people going to hell. And that concerns me. Let me just say this, lost person. If, if you're lost this morning, you probably know you're lost. That deep down inside, you may put up the facade, you may put up the curtain of your own self-righteousness and say, I'm doing good. But deep down inside of you, you know that there's a hollow place. And that the only thing that will fill that is Jesus. Don't be living in your own righteousness because your own righteousness is going to put you on the high road to hell. It's going to send you straight to hell as fast as you can get there. Living in your own righteousness. He said that, that Paul said that I want to be found having that relationship with Jesus. Because all else is null and void. All else doesn't amount to, in here in Middle Tennessee, we say it doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Anybody ever heard that one before? doesn't amount to anything, a life without Jesus, to be found in Him. And then lastly, he gets even more personal in verse number 10. He says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto his death, that I may know him. It's, it's hard to get to know people in the society that we live in. We're, we're superficial kind of today. We have Facebook and we have Instagram and we have telephones even. And, and really, we don't, we don't come together like we should probably. People, you used to know people better than you do now. How many people, if you think, but think in your mind, how many people do you really know? I know Tanner. I know who he is. 
I've got a pretty good idea about him, but I don't know him, know him. I don't know what's inside of his heart. And, and I, I, really, I could sit down and I could talk to him. But to really know somebody, you know how you accomplish that relationship? You spend almost all your time with them. I'll talk about my wife a little bit more. She's still not back, so I can, I can talk, talk about her just a little bit. But as a husband and wife, that, that relationship is what I compare it to simply because if you're saved, you're in the bride of Christ. So that's a pretty good relationship comparison. But I know my wife probably better than anybody else on this planet. My wife knows me better than anybody else. But the thing about it is, is I've been married almost seven years. June the 30th is, is when our anniversary is. And, and I was so naive when I got married that I thought I could figure my wife out pretty quick. Say, so how long have you been married, brother? 30 plus, 30 what? Plus. What's that, what's that number at the end of the plus? <laughs> 33 years. And if I asked Cecil, if I said, Brother, do you know everything about your wife? What would you say? Absolutely not. 33 years, you would figure Cecil would be further down the road than he is right now. <laughs> yeah. Not to put you on the spot, brother. And Cecil, I'm sure, has spent more than 33 years with his wife. They dated and whatever, the, whatever it was, and they were engaged. And Cecil has spent all this time getting to know his wife. But he still doesn't know all there is to know. I think as, as a man, sometimes that women just hold things back from us. And they don't tell us things. And, and they'll say, well, you were supposed to know that. Just to give you a, a, really, a really silly example, yesterday at lunchtime, me and my wife were about to eat lunch. And I was I reached in the refrigerator and got out potato salad. I like potato salad. And I got it out and I was putting it on my plate and I looked in at my wife. She was sitting there and I said, Sweetheart, do you want me to fix you some potato salad? She said, I don't like potato salad. You should know that. We've been married nearly seven years. She actually said that. She said, We've been married almost seven years and you didn't know I didn't like potato salad. I thought, Well, no, I didn't, I didn't sign up for that one. I did, how am I supposed to know that? I don't follow you around when we eat and say, did she get potato salad? Did she get macaroni salad? I didn't know that. I learned it now. But there are other things I learn about her, the intimate things and things that are deeper, things about her, her spirit and her soul and, and things deeper down in her that I'm still learning. Paul said, I want that same relationship with Jesus. He said, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Him. I want to have that, that deep relationship, that relationship. You, you notice that, that when people have been married for a really long time, that they can even sometimes finish each other's sentences. That they know what each other's thinking. Even after seven years, you know, me and my wife can be sitting in a room and look at each other and kind of know what we're thinking. We think the same. We're getting, you know, older people sometimes even start looking more alike to me. You ever seen that? Older couples start looking alike. We get to know each other and know each other, but we never know it all. We should strive every day in our relationship with Christ to know Him that much more. To get down on our knees every morning and humbly say, God, I've got a right relationship with you this morning. God, I'm saved. Lord, I know that, that, that I've asked forgiveness and there's no sin in my life. But God, please reveal another part of yourself to me today. 
God, I want to know you more. God, I want to know you in a more intimate way. And I guarantee if you ask Him and if you dig into His Word and and you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, God will let you know Him. Jesus Christ will let you know Him more and more every single day. Paul said that I want to know Him. He said I want to win Him. He said that I want to be found in Him. And I want to know Him. Christians this morning, I want to speak to you for just a moment and tell you this, that you shouldn't treat a sermon as just a generic thing that somebody gets up here and says for a little while and you can smile and nod your head and say amen. You should take every single sermon that's delivered from God's Word and say, how can I apply this to my life? See, as a preacher, one of my main objectives every time that I preach is to try to give people an application to their life. And I would like to ask you as a Christian to sit down sometime in a quiet place away from the distractions and away from the world and just take an account of your life and ask yourself, is my relationship with Jesus as strong as it should be? Again, I'm not talking about asking yourself whether am I saved. I'm talking about people that know they're saved sitting down and saying, Lord, am I still in your favor? God, is that fellowship still there? Lord, am I being found in you when people see me? Do they see Jesus? And Lord, I want to know you. Know you more every single day. We need to ask ourselves that because the Apostle Paul goes on in verse number 12. And he says this. He says about his relationship with Jesus. You would think if anybody had, had that relationship with Jesus, it would have been Paul. But he says, not as though I had already attained. He, he said, or either were already perfect. He said, but I follow after. I'm in pursuit of him. That if I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He's talking to the brothers, to the church, to the saved people. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. Verse 14, I love this verse. He says, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said that to save people. He says, church, he said, we're pressing on. We're, we're, we're trying to, to reach out. We're trying to just get that much more in love with Jesus. But then lost person Paul had a message for you too. He talked about your life that you're in right now. He talked about the life that was pre-conversion. Before he was saved on the road to Damascus. He said, I had it all figured out. Everything was going good for me. I was doing the right things. People respected me. People looked up to me. He said, but I didn't have that relationship with Jesus. And that's all done. That's all trash. That's all just, just over with and done for. He said it's a life that's not even worth living. Paul said in another place that if we have hope in this life of alone, we are above all men most miserable. If I only had to, to live this life and then that was the end of it, boy, that would be a sad situation. But lost person, there is hope in Jesus this morning. 
Jesus is standing here and He's waiting for you saying, come and have that relationship with me. Quit depending on yourself and depend on me. But so many people reject Him every day. People in this church this morning that know you're lost, that know you're on your way to hell, depending on your own self to get yourself through life. To, to what happens when you get to eternity? What happens when you get to the end of your life and there's nobody that you can't depend on yourself anymore? Then what? Paul said that I've taken care of that, that I counted that a loss and joined in a relationship with Jesus. Everybody stand this morning. Brother Cecil and the piano player and musicians come. Everybody bow your head for just a moment and I'm going to pray this morning. And if you're lost, if you know that you need Jesus, I ask you this morning to come to this altar and be saved. Don't put it off another day. Don't, don't, don't wait. If, if it's pride, swallow your pride. If, if it's the devil fighting you, tell Satan, say, be gone, Satan. I need Jesus this morning. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for your many blessings. God, I thank you for this church, Lord, and the attention of the people this morning. But God, you've spoken through your word. God, I was absolutely, Lord, unworthy to stand and speak your word. But God, the Holy Spirit has spoken this morning. And God, I just pray that you would deal with the lost people this morning. God, that you would just convict their soul. Lord, that you would prick their heart and let them know that they need you this morning more than they need the next breath or the next heartbeat. God, I just pray that you would move. Lord, have your way in this service. I just pray that you would just touch the Christians to be praying for the lost this morning. God, have your way in this service. God, we praise you. Thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.